Welcome to Next Education Workforce, a podcast on redesigning education for learners and educators. I'm Brent Madden, Executive Director of Next Education Workforce at Arizona State University's Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College. I'm so excited to be joined today by Virgil Hammonds, Chief Learning Officer at KnowledgeWorks. Virgil and KnowledgeWorks partner with national policymakers and local learning communities throughout the country to redesign learning structures to become more learner-centered. These structures are based on proficiency rather than seat time and promote both teacher and learner agency. Virgil's a former superintendent and high school principal. I cannot wait for you to hear his thoughts as an educator and as a national leader invested in systems level change. Thanks so much for being with us. It's so nice to have you on, Virgil. Great to be with you, Brent. I'd love for you to just share with our listeners your background uh, because you've worn so many different hats over the years that that perspective, I think, is incredibly important to the work that you're doing now. Certainly happy to. I'm really proud of every learning community that I've served in the variety of roles that I've held. I actually started as a um, migrant aide, which essentially was uh, serving newcomers to the country and helping them to understand literacy and the English language, which was a terrific job and prepared me for the opportunity to serve as a middle school social studies and English teacher. And I just love middle school. You know, it's a great place where little people think they're big people. Their brains are still developing. They're developing as people and human beings. It's just incredible. So I just loved that job. As much as I, I loved um, serving as an assistant high school principal and also uh, a high school principal as well. And um, my tenure in all of those roles um, spanned from Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and also Central California. But ultimately, uh, family led me, led me back to New England and served as a superintendent in, in Maine. And from there was connected to policymakers and other organizations that were focused on learner-centered education. And that's where I met KnowledgeWorks, which is where I know. That's where I want to start. When I think of KnowledgeWorks, I think of putting students at the center, the idea of student-centered learning, personalized learning, competency-based learning. Help us understand, when you hear all of these words, what does it really mean to you, Virgil? I'll describe it this way, and and we we certainly do have definitions in, in the field, but let me just get a little personal with that. For me, it's about providing kids the agency to go deeper with their learning. But even beyond that, It's helping them to develop the critical consciousness that makes them the human or the citizen or the partner they aspire to be. I think about my own path as an educator, right? A high school science teacher. And I would love to say that I was meeting every single individual student's needs, but like, that's so hard. Being able to actually deliver on this idea of essentially personalized learning for every student Well, what if I were to tell you it wasn't entirely on the heroic shoulders of our teachers? What if I could tell you that we could co-design systems with our learners, with community stakeholders, so that they understand the expectations for learning, but more importantly, are inspired and empowered to pursue evidence of their learning in ways that are meaningful and impactful to them and their communities? So no longer is it on Mr. Madden's shoulders only, but it's on Mr. Madden's shoulders 
and the collective group. Who's in this collective group? A classroom teacher, but like who, who else is on that team with distributed expertise that are coming around, uh, say, a group of students to include, I'm assuming, based on what I'm hearing, the students themselves? The good news is when, when you've developed that system that is exceptionally transparent, everyone understands the expectations for learning. Now it's collectively, we as a teacher group are helping support the needs of every learner, really relying on the individual skill sets of every teacher, amplifying that in ways that our school system will allow it so that in turn, our learners are getting the very best of us educators, but also our community members. Educators can be found throughout the community beyond our school walls, people that have tremendous experience in showing how the content that our kids are learning in our classrooms is relevant to the world around them. It's our responsibility as educators to help create those connections, that network for our learners. But more importantly, the key driver in all of this and being learner-centered is the learner themselves, giving them the tools to run with their learning to help develop those skills, knowledge, and dispositions that will allow them to pursue um, learning in ways that uh, are inspirational to them, thus allowing them to go deeper with their learning. Let me say that I, I gave you a magic wand and you could wave it about and you could start to change policy that might make what you just described in terms of a, a learner-centered approach more possible. What sort of uh, policy changes would you make that could help with the reality that you just described? Educators know this phrase a lot, but um, in connection to your policy question, Brent, what if we, instead of time being the constant and learn, learning being the variable if we flipped the script and made learning the constant and time the variable, where we could move kids based on readiness and mastery rather than individual seat time, where we focused on evidence of learning and for learning as well, where we could think differently about accountability and assessment structures to be more focused on where our kids currently are, what they have learned, and how they are learning it. There are policies that states across the country are enacting now that make that vision a reality. Where do you see some of the most interesting and exciting work happening on this front? The very truth, Brent, and, and folks might find this hard to believe, 48 states across our country have provided that policy flexibility. There are some tremendous states that have taken it a step further. So in addition to creating the policy, they're saying, how do we create the resources, the supports, the network to make this possible? I'll mention a couple states. In South Carolina, they, the Department of Education has actually created an office of personalized learning. And this office is uh, creating uh, learning opportunities that help educators across South Carolina learn more about what it means to be personalized and to go deeper with their learning. And over the last three years, nearly two thirds of the educators in South Carolina have volunteered to learn more about what that means, have volunteered to connect with other educators across the state to learn from their practices, their steps, their processes, and how they've made that vision a reality within their state. That's really inspiring. Would you say that the learning that the educators, is do, that they're doing, uh, would you say that, that that's personalized for them? Like, are we teacher educators? Are we practicing what you're preaching here? That's a critical step, Brent. That's an absolutely critical step. And, and a piece that we're, we're seeing, not just in South Carolina, where they are uh, adjusting and providing these learning opportunities based on readiness and prior knowledge. Other states like Arizona, 
um, in partnership with Arizona State University and the Center for the Future of Arizona and KnowledgeWorks. We're collectively looking at how we can model that um, personalization and deeper learning with educators as well. How might we develop that agency within learners so that we can target their skill sets, um, their experiences, and personalize professional development in ways that prepare them to leverage these new skill sets the very next day they're in the classroom. I'm so excited about this work. It's potentially a game changer in the way that we, we think about professional learning. When you think about leader preparation, how would you describe uh, you know, the sort of leaders, both at the school level and at the systems level? Like, who are these people? Like, what do they need to know, be able to do? How should they be thinking about bringing really big systems level change to pretty complicated systems? You know, one piece that we have come to recognize in, in the tremendous leaders that are leading this work, this idea, this vision about personalized deeper learning, learner-centered education, the reality is they're not doing it by themselves. You kind of picture this one person that is this incredible thinker, um, this incredible strategist, but the reality is these learning communities that have made this vision a reality have leaders that are thinking very intentionally about how they can be inclusive and co-creative with all of their stakeholders, right? So everyone sees their role and how they can support this vision. Uh, so it's not about one person, but it's about the community as a whole. Who's in this community? When you talk about like this set of stakeholders, who's on the list? It's a dense network. And that might be hard for some folks to, to consider when thinking about education and school systems. Imagine a, a dense network that's connected, not just of educators, but also learners. Imagine learners being co-designers of your system, right? We as adults and, and educators with a variety of degrees think we know what's best for kids but our kids know what's best for them, right? They know what their needs are. They know what, may, what inspires them. They know what they need to be successful and to achieve those aspirations that they've set for themselves. What does that look like practically? In my mind, I'm imagining like students coming to, you know, summer professional learning for, for educators, like as they're like designing units of instruction. How does this actually play out on the ground? It happens on a daily basis, Brent. You know, it's in addition to summer, certainly. Can you imagine having your learners at your professional development sessions? That's happening across the country. Can you imagine those curriculum meetings, those grade level meetings that uh, teachers have daily, weekly? What if you had learners there providing feedback on the structures and the designs that we educators are, are building for them? If we're able to have those learners at the, at the table um, from the very beginning, those adjustments that typically we make a month or two or a quarter or the following summer happen much more quickly, thus improving the results and the impact. But, but the other piece, Brent, though, is it's not just our, our learners are absolutely the key, most critical stakeholder, but so is our community at large. Our community knows our kids. Those are our parents, civic leaders, our community partners, Folks that have interactions with our kids and their families on a daily basis, they too need to be at the design table because they know more about our families. They know more about our kids. And we can add all of those pieces together as educators and as stakeholders. You know, if I were trying to channel some naysayers to, to the vision that you're describing here, oh my gosh, this is going to take so long. Like, we'll never get anything done. We've got, you know, just rounding up these people, just getting them all to, to be present at the same time is a... Herculean task in and of itself. In addition to the time and scheduling piece of this, what are the other uh, affronts or challenges to this idea that you're hearing? And 
how do you address them? What do you what do you say back? When confronted with um, those brutal realities, and they are realities, absolutely. But I oftentimes come to a quote that I, I read by Brian Stevenson of the Equal Justice Initiative. What Mr. Stevenson said was, the enemy of justice is hopelessness. And so if we don't believe that this is possible, if we don't believe that we can't make the time, that it's going to take too long, that there are too many policy hurdles that stand in the way, the reality is then we're losing hope of this aspirational vision that we know will create justice for our learners and for our communities. And so it's really about how do we build that aspirational collective aspirational vision so that we understand how we can accelerate this opportunity. And this is why we keep coming back to that intentional inclusivity, right? It cannot be solely on the heroic shoulders of our educators. It's, it's the collective, right? It's the community, but it's about being really clear about what each of our, or understanding what each of our roles are in this lift. And when we create that, and when we build off that, then we can really start to think about how we can address the systemic inequities throughout our community and throughout our systems, but especially our school systems. Do you think, despite the almost immeasurable tragedy of this moment of 2020 pandemic, do you see this as an opportunity to really begin at a systems level to bring about some of the changes that you're describing? It's more than opportunity. It's actually a critical point in our time. This is the recognition that we need to shift. The inequities continue to grow. The gaps continue to extend. The pandemic has highlighted everything that we have known as educators, that the resources clearly are not where they need to be. This is our moment, right? We, we have to get it right. The good news is that um, stakeholders across the community, across the country, are now seeing what educators have seen for decades, and urgency is now exists beyond our school walls and beyond our classrooms. And so that, uh, that opportunity, that question around, are, are people ready to tackle um, the rigors of this vision? People want to do something different. People want to um, help and support. They see what they can do in service of their neighbors, in service of their kids, in service of humanity. And this absolutely is our moment. You inspire me with your vision the question that I always end with is, what are you reading? What might you share with our audience uh, to continue to push our thinking and uh, cajole us into maybe seeing the world a little differently than maybe we did before we engaged? What, what's on your list? I love that. And I'm excited to hear what uh, others have shared as well. And yours also, Brent. I'm curious. Uh, and thank you for asking. Lots on the list. And I'm one that uh, likes to read multiple books at a time, which might drive others a bit nutty. But I like the diversity um, in thought and my mood really helps to determine what I pick up at that moment. One is uh, Belonging Through a Culture of Dignity by Cobb and Crown Apple. Really speaks to me in terms of helping with that idea of an inclusion and development of that culture. Another uh, that just brings me um, great inspiration every day is about reading about other humans um, that just do amazing um, things. It's a book called Hope in the Dark. It's by Rebecca. I don't know if I'm saying her last name correctly, so I'm, I apologize if I did not. Rebecca Solnit, Untold Histories, Wild Possibilities. And right now, those two over the course of this week will get me through, will inspire me, and will be my, my learning opportunities for myself. And I hope for you as well. 
Thank you, Virgil. And I love that you turned the question back on me. You're the first guest that's done that. Two things on my shelf right now are on my desk. Uh, one is uh, Where Teachers Thrive by Susan Moore Johnson, Organizing Schools for Success. She, uh, maybe not surprisingly, uh, you know, is talking about kind of the, the difference between an egg-created model of uh, schooling and, and more of this hive model of schooling and uh, lots of work that she and her team of researchers have done. It, it just studying um, the places where teachers, educators are really thriving and love to show up to work every day. And then I'm also reading poems from An American Sunrise by Joy uh, Harjo, who is the poet laureate of the United States and uh, an American Indian poet who just does some beautiful work with language. Virgil, I thank you so much for being here. Can't wait to continue our conversations. Yes, I look forward to learning from you and others as well. Thank you so much. That was Virgil Hammonds, Chief Learning Officer at KnowledgeWorks, who is a featured expert at our third annual convening in January. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Virgil Hammonds, all one word, or join us in January to hear more about his work. Check the show notes for details and a link to register. Be sure to subscribe for more conversations with education experts. Share this episode or your feedback with the hashtag next education workforce. Thanks so much for listening. Be well, be safe, and keep learning. Until next time.